0: Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Charitable
1: giving is good for the soul and the psyche, but it may also be good for your taxes. Yeah, that may sound harsh, but it's true. It's also true that you need to be aware of the do's and don'ts. Foster and Motley's Emily Diaz is here to run us through the basics and the benefits of charitable giving. So Emily, thanks so much for being here. Yeah,
2: thanks, Patrice. It's great to be back. And this topic comes up a lot when we're working with clients. We have a lot of folks that are very charitably inclined and who doesn't like to save a few bucks on their taxes when they can. So this should be a good conversation
1: today. It should be. And let's start with, you say, folks come in and they want to give to charity. Is that usually the first step? It's not really the taxes. It's, I want to do this. Of course. We want to start with our clients' goals and what
2: do they want to do with their money? So if they've got the charitable intent there, they've got organizations that they want to make gifts to, that's great. And then we'll also come in then to help figure out how we can save
1: some dollars with taxes along the way. Does that make them happy?
2: Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like saving some taxes and seeing the money go to a good place too?
1: True. I'm assuming now most of the charitable gifts that come through your way are cash, correct?
2: A lot of times they are. We'll get into some other strategies, but just to kind of start with the basics. And when I say cash gifts in terms of tax lingo, that means literal cash, credit Mm -hmm. cards, checks, things like that. So- That's by far the most common way to give. And when we look at just, is this gift eligible for a tax deduction? You know, the first question is, is it a 501c3 organization, meaning they're registered with the IRS as a charity and therefore gifts to them can be eligible for tax deductions. Most charities are pretty good at putting that very prominently on their websites and marketing materials because they want people to know that. But occasionally, if it's hard to figure out, one resource that we like to use is GuideStar. And they're a website that compiles and information on charitable organizations. So you can look them up, see if they're a 501c3. And then also, especially for some of the larger organizations, they will have copies of their filings with the IRS. And so details of how they use their money, like how much of it went into programming, what types of programs versus administrative or fundraising costs. So that can be a a helpful tool if clients maybe aren't sure of where they want to give or just want to do a little more due diligence. But I think the line has become more blurry in recent years, especially with the rise of GoFundMe or other kinds of crowdfunding campaigns, because a lot of times they seem like great causes and they are raising money for a family going through a hard time sort of thing. But that's not registered with the IRS as a 501c3 organization, then unfortunately there isn't a tax benefit. And So there may be other intangible benefits you get from giving to things like that, but not when it comes to taxes.
1: All right. How about, I see a note here about goods received in return. Does that kind of negate anything?
2: It can. So oftentimes if you go to a, you know, a banquet, that's a charitable fundraiser, they may say, okay, if you gave $300, but you received a dinner in exchange and the dinner, it was worth $50. So you were allowed to deduct the other $250 difference. That's pretty common. But I think folks must be having more questions about that these days because I had a family member buy a bottle of Chick-fil-A sauce from the grocery store recently. And it says on the front of the bottle that they donate the net sales from the sauce to scholarships for their employees which is great. But then there's this little asterisk. And then it says in the back of the bottle that buying this bottle of sauce does not entitle you to a tax deduction. And so the CPA in me was was chucked Like, gosh, I bet somebody must have thought, oh, the proceeds from this support some kind of charitable cause. So I get a tax deduction for my Chick-fil-A sauce. No, you don't because it was a purchase. You got it. You got food in return.
1: (laughs) And really, how much did the bottle cost? Yeah, probably not that much. That's interesting. All right. Then what about itemizing? That's the phrase you hear all the time. Oh, I'm going to itemize this. I'm going to itemize that.
2: Yeah. So basically when we're just talking about kind of the basics of charitable giving, in most cases, you only get a benefit, a tax benefit to that gift if you're itemizing deductions on your tax return. And in 2018, there were a lot of tax changes. They doubled what's called the standard deduction. And so a lot fewer people now are itemizing deductions than a few years ago. So right now that standard deduction is about $26,000 for a married couple or about $13,000 for a single person. So a lot of times if we may have a client who says, okay, I I gave a $1,000 or $2,000 to charity. Can I put that on my tax return? And unless they're close with having a lot of other deductions to that $26,000 line, it's great that they gave it, but they're not going to see a tax benefit for it.
1: Hmm. All right. So- is it even worth it then? I, well, I shouldn't say, is it worth it to give? Of course it's <laughs> worth it to give, but don't go into it thinking you're going to be able to deduct it
2: or right. itemize it. Right. Now, there can be a maybe a point of confusion this year because the last two years, there was a one-time allowance that folks who weren't itemizing on their tax returns could still get a tax benefit up to a couple hundred dollars. And that was true for 2020 and 21 as part of a COVID relief package. They were trying to incentivize gifts to charity in those two years. So you may have seen on tax questionnaires from your accountant in the last year or two to still send uh, receipts for charitable gifts anyway, the last two years, but that was kind of a one-time thing. So this year we're back to the usual rules with itemizing
1: deductions and charitable gifts. And then let's move on into taxes. What is tax efficient giving?
2: Yeah, Tony and Rachel, my colleagues, did a great podcast last year that really went into the details of some of these strategies. So we'll have that linked in the show notes. But one strategy that we use very commonly is a donor advised fund. And with a donor advised fund, you can open them at Charles Schwab, which is who we typically use, or Fidelity, Vanguard, lots of other custodians. So the donor gets a tax deduction when they contribute money to this donor-advised fund. And then they can advise gifts to charities over time. Um, Maybe we have clients who give a couple thousand dollars a year, but normally wouldn't be Anywhere close to itemizing their deductions. Instead, we may have them bunch a couple years worth of charitable gifts together. So maybe they give two or three years worth, kind of bunch it all together, make the gift this year to their donor advised fund. So then they would have enough deductions to itemize it, actually see a benefit from that gift. Um, but then they can advise the grants actually be made to the different charitable organizations over time. So that could be monthly, annually, whatever the timeline they're used to giving. So it's the same impact to the charities. They still get their funds kind of in the same rhythm. The client gets a tax benefit. Um, and really the only downside is there's a little more paperwork on our end, but that's
1: what we're here to help with. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps you busy. Keeps you off the it, it
2: does. It does. <laughs>
1: How about qualified charitable distributions?
2: Yeah. So this is actually a strategy I would look to even before donor advised funds for those that are eligible. So you have to be over age 70 and a half to do qualified charitable distributions or QCDs. And that is a distribution from a retirement account, an IRA. So a pre-tax account directly to a charity. So normally if I were going to, let's pretend, you know, I'm over 70 and a half. If I were going to take a hundred dollars out of my IRA, I'd have to pay tax on it. So maybe I'd be left with $70 after tax. Then I could take the 70 bucks and give that to a charity. But depending on whether I itemize or not, I might not actually see a benefit. Instead, if I were to do a QCD or a qualified charitable distribution from my IRA, a check would go directly from my IRA for the full $100 to a charity. I wouldn't have to pay tax on it and the charity wouldn't either. That's a a way to make the gift in a lot more tax efficient way because you get the benefit regardless of whether you itemize. And also there are a few other benefits that it can help with because there are certain other tax deductions that can be based on um, your adjusted gross income, which is the income number before we start looking at deductions like the standard deduction or itemizing. So there can be other benefits too, to making the QCDs and lowering that kind of bottom line.
1: Now, not all states are created equal when it comes to tax benefits, are they?
2: No, they're not. And unfortunately, we're based here in Ohio. Ohio doesn't have really any specific benefits for charitable gifts. Kentucky does allow itemizing deductions or certain deductions. So there can be a charitable benefit there. But we also work with clients in other states, some of which even offer tax credits, which that's a dollar for dollar credit. So if you give $200 to certain organizations, wow. you get a direct $200 right off of your tax bill. So we try to be sensitive to that when we're structuring different ways that clients may make their gifts
1: so we can be sensitive to the state level benefits as well. All right. You're looking ahead to your estate. You're setting it up. And you want to leave charitable gifts. How does that work? Mm
2: -hmm. That's a great question. So one of the things that we'll often recommend or, you know, see attorneys recommend as we're working with them is leaving, again, pre-tax retirement accounts, kind of thinking back to the QCD conversation, leaving those pre-tax dollars to charity. So. Let's say we have a client who passes away with a million dollars, and they want a hundred thousand to go to charity and nine hundred thousand to go to their daughter. And then let's say they've got a pre-tax retirement account and then an after-tax brokerage account. Well, if they carve out a hundred thousand of their after-tax account to go to charity, that's great. But then that means that their daughter, the the beneficiary. Is going to have to pay tax on all of the pre-tax retirement account as she draws over time. Instead, though, if we were to carve out that hundred thousand dollars from the IRA from the pre-tax retirement account, again, the charity gets the full benefit of the whole hundred thousand dollars, and we don't ever have to pay taxes on that. The the client or the their daughter, the beneficiary. So it's just a way to end up with kind of more going towards the charitable organization or your other heirs as opposed to going to taxes.
1: So a lot of it then is planning. It's planning, it's thinking ahead, it's weighing all the alternatives and that's why they come to you and Emily. How yes, can you? yes, <laughs> that is.
2: Um, so the easiest way to reach us is our website, which is fosterandmotley.com. Um, and then there are links there for our you know, phone number and, and other contact information.
1: And of course, for more information, follow this podcast, Foster and Motley's podcast about life and wealth, share with others, especially if you think it'll help them and Thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.